Hi, everyone. This is Catherine Adams and Elizabeth Wallace, and you're listening to Binary System Podcast number 364. And tonight, we do not have a Night Vale episode to recap. We miscalculated. We won't have a new Night Vale for, what, two more days? I think so. Something like that as of time of this recording. Yeah, and we didn't want to jump ahead with Laura Olympus because that's just going to, we're going to have to pay for that later on. So we made a conscious decision to catch up on at least one of the many Marvel things that we have been meaning to watch for a while now. We decided to watch Ant-Man and the Wasp Mania, And oh my goodness, what a spectacle. It was a spectacle, but you know what? I'm not entirely sure all of it worked. I yeah, I I have notes, but um, I will say that I think the main theme of this movie from the movie's creators was why don't we just put all the cool things in? I mean, because it was Man. just I, so many of my notes about things I like were just this was cool and this was cool and oh boy, the attacking soldiers are rappelling down on these glowing lines and really that looks awesome. So yeah, yeah they yeah. visually. This movie is just filled with things, but um, plot-wise, I don't know. I mentioned to Nathan that I'm starting to wonder what the point is of the Marvel movies anymore because it's just mm-hmm. I, I just feel kind of tired now. I mean, it's yeah. it's all spectacle. It's all so far removed from the first Iron Man movie, which was just in my mind is a perfect movie because it does everything it's set out to. I don't know exactly what this movie was trying to do other than be cool. Yeah, and that's the thing I heard in the IMDb trivia. Bless you, IMDb trivia that. This was the first of the Ant-Man movies that Paul Rudd didn't co-write, and I feel like that's kind of apparent because they kept trying to be lighthearted, they kept trying to be interesting and stirring and funny, and I just didn't feel like any of it landed. Every time they did something, I'm like, wow, I really see what you were going for there, but it didn't quite work. And that's a shame because, I mean, visually, like we said, spectacular acting off the charts definitely and the casting was wonderful which we'll get into in a minute but writing wise I'm like man I just I feel like I just don't care yeah there was at least one time when Michael Douglas had some lines and something about the thousand yard stare in his eyes it wasn't like he was phoning it in but you just had to imagine him thinking what the hell am I doing (laughs) this, this, this dialogue are you kidding me yeah oh my goodness all right so starting from the beginning um, not the beginning, beginning, but you know, we're not going to do like a full recap of the movie. This is just going to be like basically a recap of the things that we really liked and the things that we really didn't like. So one of the things I liked is when they get into the quantum realm and they take this ooze that makes, I don't know, it's like a translation thing. I don't know, for some reason, I was just kind of delighted that from the moment that took hold, everybody just talked normally. I just liked that. Yes, I liked how they tied that in with Janet taking um, uh, her husband and Hope with her to that bar, and she orders a round of shots, and it turns out those shots is the ooze that's the translation stuff. So everybody's on the same page. Yes, I like that. And you know what? Just side note, I mean, we've already talked many times in the past about how we both love an otherworld marketplace. You know, when you have like an alien marketplace or a fairy marketplace, my second favorite is an otherworld bar. Yeah. Okay, so I was shocked that Bill Murray was in this movie. I was somehow... 
totally unspoiled for that. And when his character lands a ship at the bar and comes striding down with his entourage, I really liked that techno music that was playing as he was walking in. (laughs) I have that in my notes. I have I love the music and I also have Bill freaking Murray. And I hear from the trivia, this was not like you were talking about the thousand yard stare. Now, Bill Murray really wanted to be part of the Marvel Universe. And I'm like, bless you. That's awesome. I think Michelle Pfeiffer did a bang up job here. I love Mm. her being a badass survival character who had to figure out how to live in the quantum mania for 30 years. And that whole thing where she and Dr. Hank Pym and Hope are facing down this army that's coming at them. And this one alien walks up to her and attacks and she attacks him back and stabs him with a knife and cuts his arm off. And then he regrows the arm and like pulls the knife out and they both start laughing in the embrace. And then that that exasperated expression, the gesture that Hope gives when she just turns around to Hank, oh, she's just so (laughs) disgusted. Like what the absolute hell? I loved that. That was, she really sold that. She did. She did. Now, another thing, speaking of the casting, everything and Bill freaking Murray and everything, how awesome was it when you saw the telepath? They're like, it's she. Yes. And he was even (laughs) playing a cheaty character somehow, that he's the smartest person in the room and completely unequipped to be able to handle dealing with people because he just couldn't stand the fact that people just kept thinking things. Oh, man. He, He really, like I said... I have no complaints about the acting in this movie. I thought everybody did a bang-up job. And I want to know how the hell Michelle Pfeiffer has managed to look this good still. I mean, she, she looks, looks great, amazing, and I want the outfit that she's wearing for everyday use, and I want it now. I want both the stuff that she was wearing when she was pulled into Quantumania, the stuff from the past, the poncho thingy that she threw on in order to blend in, just all of it perfect. Yes. I was just telling somebody today that I like... We're always looking for cosplay that we can do where we can still wear our glasses. So mm-hmm. a lot of times that means like stuff with big helmets. All of Kang's soldiers with those glowing helmet things. Mm-hmm. I mean, can you imagine being part of a whole group of people just stomping through Comic-Con wearing these glowing helmets? I'm like, ah, I'd love that. I, I don't know if this is, I think this is from IMDb. I think those things were called quantum knots, which is interesting, okay. like astronauts. So I thought, you know, I want a quantum knot costume. That would be great. That would be fine. Also, I liked all of the effects with Modok, which is not a character that I'm hugely familiar with, but I, I just... I thought they did, did a great job with all the effects on that one, and he was just such a douchebag. He you know? really was. Now, Nathan, he came in at one point with a scene that Modoc was there, and he said, oh, that really doesn't work in the movie. I think Nathan's more familiar with him in the comic books. Mm-hmm. But I'm not familiar with the character from the comic books, so I thought it was fine. But when it comes to the writing and like you know the earnestness and everything and how it doesn't always land... Scott's line when Modoc is gloating and like trying to be the power person or whatever and Scott is just like Darren and I actually wrote in notes yes way to step on his line but then <laughs> Darren is still talking about what he was transformed into a mechanized organism designed only for killing and then Scott just interrupts again oh it's an anagram and he calls over to his daughter it's an anagram uh, technically that would be Modoc and I thought that was the <laughs> best joke of the whole movie, which probably doesn't say as much for the funny bits in this movie, but Mm. that was just, that was perfect. Yeah, that was my thing. Like, I think the previous Ant-Man movies did such a better job with the humor. It's not that there wasn't anything funny in this one. It's just the jokes didn't always land. Also, the really, like, 
dramatic moments. I really wanted them to land just a teeny tiny bit better. And there was like in the beginning of the movie and Scott, of course, has written this book and everybody's making fun of him for having written this book. And at one point, Hank Pym says something and he actually quotes a line from the book. And Scott's like, you read my book. And Hank says every goddamn word. And I'm like, oh, I wish that line had landed better. I could feel them reaching for it. It's okay. I mean, spoilers, when Darren gets killed, he's he's gets stomped in a fight with Cassie, um, Scott's daughter, and he's still calling after her. What? Well, we need to finish this. And she tells him to not be a dick. And he says, I've, I can't help it. It's what I've always been. And she said, it's never too late to not be a dick. And I wrote in my notes, cheesy. Cheesy. Just, but then not, it didn't work. No, and but then you know Darren comes in to save the day. My name is Darren, and I'm not a dick. And he manages to save the day, but then he dies. And I'm like, ah, okay, the character earned the redemption. The writers didn't. That no. that needed to have been set up a lot more. Because the only setup that we got for the character was Cassie. In the very beginning, Scott told Cassie that he wanted her to have a normal life. And she said, Dad, a man dressed as a bee tried to kill me in my room when I was six. I have never had a normal life. And I appreciate that they did that to give everybody a little bit of a, hey, you remember when a bad guy tried to kill her and then got killed off in the first movie? Well, he's back. But other than that, they really didn't give us much of a character arc. He was just a dick and he got transformed into a monster and then he redeemed himself and he died. Yeah, it's a shame. I mean, they... The effort was definitely there, but it it almost never paid off. And it was really kind of around that time. To be honest, okay, so this is a moment where, of course, they're going into the quantum realm. They're going to this one area to the, I don't know, the MacGuffin that Kang needed or whatever. You know, the thing that everybody was going after. You know what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. And Scott's there, and he starts multiplying into different versions of himself, and they're all arguing with each other. And I'm, like, literally looking at the screen, I was like, oh, wow, that's kind of funny. Holy shit, there's an hour more of this movie left. And I just started to get really pissed off. Yeah, and I was sitting here trying to calculate in my head, how long do the credits usually last in a Marvel movie? And how many extra cut scenes would we get? Meaning, how much left of this actual plot are we going to have to deal with? Although... The whole bit with, you know, Scott getting turned into probable Scots in the prob- probable storm, I think. Mm-hmm. And then, mm-hmm. you know, that was that was actually kind of fun, especially when all of them realize, oh, we're going to die. And they all start you know doing the gesture to close their helmet and then running in all different directions. And then the whole cool thing where they're all trying to raise him up to the MacGuffin thingy. And then the wasp comes in and she's got a probable jan- um, hopes following behind her. And then there's that distant scene where all of the probabilities just kind of spiral into one. I thought, yes, that's cool. Can we get a move on with the plot, please? Please. Oh, God, please. I have not had this thought for a while, but Netflix lets you speed up the playback, which is not a good (laughs) sign. And I just... I kept every once in a while, I would kept on checking the settings on Disney Plus. I'm like, are we sure we don't have a way to speed this up? That's a really <laughs> bad sign. I'm like, I wouldn't have doubled the speed, but you know, one and a quarter, maybe one and a half. That's really, that's a very, very bad sign. Yeah. When you're trying to get through the movie and you're counting down the minutes until it ends. Oh, yeah. No, no, I no. feel like this could have worked as an episode in a TV show rather than stretched out to an entire movie, but I don't want to give Disney and Marvel any more ideas 
ideas about more TV shows that I have to catch up with. No. And there were some fun bits. Of course, there was the bit with Scott and his daughter, and they both get to giant size. They're running each other. And he's like, you're huge. She says, I know. God, I'm so hungry. He's like, right. And she's like, oh, I want a lime. And it was like a callback to in, I guess it was Civil War when he was all huge and everything. He's like, oh, I need some citrus or whatever. It's the thing when you're like stoned or high or whatever, you sometimes want citrus. And I'd like, for some reason, I liked all of that. I thought that was very fun. Well, I, I made a note of that, that when Scott goes down to miniature, it's fun. When Scott goes to huge, it's cool. And of course, he gets quantum huge in this one is yes. stomping on buildings. They didn't really play off the whole thing where he's shouting at Kang for going back on his word. And you, our mm-hmm. word is our bond. I'm like, I feel like that was a message that may have been set up in earlier drafts. And here, him being ticked off at Kang for going against his word felt like it was a little overdone. Yeah, yeah. I do have to admit, though, the climactic moment where all the ants came forward and you've got Hank kind of like dramatically striding forward. I'm like, okay, that works. Mm-hmm. Fine. Yep, yep. I love the idea of the ants being able to evolve themselves over thousands of years, falling into the uh, quantum realm, and they make their own civilization. Sure, sure why not? That's <laughs> fine. Deus ex machina. That's cool. Now, uh, okay. A character that I think worked is Kang himself, because I think Jonathan Majors does a great job of playing somebody. It's terrifying, but not always in the shouty, scenery-chewing way. It's just especially when Janet was telling the story about how she met him in the quantum realm, and she actually fixed his ship and then realized who he was and how many civilizations he destroyed. And she's talking to him, and you can tell that he's regretful, and at the same time, not even considering the idea that anything he did was wrong or no. that he's going to change his ways even one little bit. He's just, yeah. he's he's Kang the Conqueror, and he's going to destroy timelines. And that was, yeah. that was cool. I loved all the aesthetics of his his little ship's core with little swimmy uh, circles in it. And then the fact that his ship was just bigger and bigger and bigger versions of that with more little circles flying around. Yeah. The designers on the ship did a great job. The designers in the entire movie, honestly, did a great job. I mean, every single character. I mean, the one you've got the one rebellion leader and she's got the friend who's got, it's almost like, I don't know. Um, Pog was the Imperata victim who was in more than meets the eye. Whirl. Whirl, whirl, yes, a very whirl-like head. But, I mean, the voice was cool. The design was cool. The way he blasts things out of the face was cool. I mean, that was a very cool-looking character. Yeah, it was. Now, okay, with Kang and Janet and her history with Kang, and she tells the whole thing about how she found out too late to stop him from getting his suit back, who he was, but she was able to destroy the um, the core or blow up the core using the uh, PIM particles. And then they had to, you know, battle against him. And then she got pulled away and left everybody behind. And I made a note here saying, oh, this is really such a tragic story. Why didn't you tell anybody any of this, Janet? Yeah, no, that's another example of like the because plot, you know, if she had told everybody, we would have probably taken steps to prevent it. And then we wouldn't have had a movie, I guess. So yeah, no, the whole time I'm like, uh, yeah, Hannah's mentioned that before about how like 90% of movies wouldn't happen if everybody talked with everybody else about what was going on. It's true. Yeah. 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 So it just annoyed me because it took her character in the very beginning and it 
it made her play the part of the person who has to tell everybody not to do the fun thing. And there's yeah. reasons why people were not supposed to do the fun thing, like really important reasons, but she didn't tell anybody because plot. Yeah. And the little things like that every once in a little predictable things. Like you've got Cassie, who has obviously been playing around with pin particles, like shrinking a police car in the beginning, which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> And then we're like three quarters of the way, maybe halfway through the movie, and she ends up changing size and everything. And Hank is like, you have a suit? She's like, yes, fine. I have a suit. And I'm like, did anybody not think she had a suit? Come on. Obviously, she had a suit. Obviously, she had a suit, yes. Mm -hmm. But I thought, and of course, you've got the big battle between Scott and Kang, like literally punching each other. And Kang is obviously a lot more powerful. But he and Hope manage to fight him as she comes back for him through the portal that is collapsing, and they do manage to kill him, which is legitimately horrifying how he died. Like, he collapsed into some kind of black hole from the power source, but it took half of him at first and then took the rest of him. So, yeah, that was scary. So they're stuck there in the quantum realm, but they're they're bonding, and they obviously, and they tell each other they love each other, and it's very tragic, but it's very sweet, and they're looking over the celebration of everybody who managed to defeat the bad guys in the rebellion, and then a portal opens behind them that Cassie has managed to open. And Scott says, let's go home. And Hope says, yeah, home's good. And they're not even looking at the portal. And I thought, I actually did kind of appreciate that because opening up the portal after everything was about, oh, we could be trapped here forever. And it opening so easily is a deus ex machina. But the fact that both of them were not even surprised that Cassie was able to open up a portal, like they didn't even turn around to acknowledge that. Okay, you sort of, you sort of made up for the fact that that was kind of convenient. Yeah, I was reading in the trivia that that wasn't the way it was supposed to end. It was supposed to end with the two of them being stuck in the quantum realm for a while. And I heard there was something like rewrite mandates came down. So somebody on high decided, no, we're not going to end it. But that, and the whole final scene with the ice cream cake and all that kind of stuff, which really felt tacked on. It's because it was tacked on. It was tacked on, yeah. I did Mm -hmm. think when Scott is doing his usual talking to himself about how weird his life is, and he's walking outside, and then he starts wondering about what he actually managed to do with killing Kang, and that Kang had said that horrible things would happen if he didn't get out. Has he managed to doom everybody? And, like, the sunlight goes behind a cloud, and it gets dark, and it's legitimately kind of creepy. And then he goes, oh, but I'm sure it's fine, which is kind of funny. It was. I like that. That was nice. I mean, we can't... It's an Ant-Man movie. We kind of have to end on a higher note, Mm -hmm. I suppose. But, um, of course, I am sure I knew which cut scene, um, or mid-credit scene, I should say, that you liked. Yes! I was so happy it was back in Victorian times and you hear Jonathan Majors who's obviously a much earlier version of Kang giving a science presentation and in the audience is Loki and Loki is obviously terrified and Tom Hiddleston sells it so yes he does (laughs) oh my goodness yeah the one thing a lot of the trivia is pointing out this is pulling so heavily from the comics to a point where I am missing most of the stuff that's going on. I mean, you've got that one cut scene where you've got the different versions of Kang, all apparently very comic appropriate, and you can see versions of Kang and the audience and everything, and the Victorian Kang. All of that is comic references that went 100% over my head. I am not familiar with the character, even in the slightest. And I feel like we probably can't have this conversation without referencing the fact that Jonathan Majors is 
not really in a good PR place right now. Have you heard about all this? I have. I don't know what the hell's happening. Yeah. I mean, um, it's just, and he's, he's been accused of abuse, and but then, then some evidence came forward that obviously the woman who was accusing him was lying because I think security footage said something different, but now there are other women coming forward and they're uh-huh. accusing him, and there's been a few people on Twitter. One person pointed out they were so angry because I think Jonathan Majors actually wore like a, a skirt or like a very flowing dress sort of thing as a sort uh-huh. of fuck your gender role normality. You know, the men can wear whatever men want to wear, and there were a lot of guys out there, a lot of dude bros that that were really slagging on him for not being manly enough. And it's apparently the same guys who are now coming forward to support Jonathan Majors because, oh, it's women making accusations and women always lie. And it's just, you don't know anything. You really don't. I mean, in this age of social media, when something like this happens, you have to admit that you know nothing about anything that's going on with all these people. And I don't even know, are there charges being pressed? Is there trial dates set? I I don't know. I know. um, I mean, there's going to be some kind of trial, I think. I know PR companies have dropped him. Marvel is playing it very carefully because apparently Kang wasn't going to be like this major central thing at first, but he he did so well with audiences in Loki. Yeah. So I think apparently it was going to be really more of a Doctor Doom type of major villain coming forward, but they changed it so that Kang is going to be super central to a lot of these stories like Secret Wars and the Kang Wars. I can't remember what it's called. I'm sorry. But um, now Marvel is just like, oh, shit, we've hung everything on this one person and we don't know are people going after him for no reason or he's is he legitimately a douchebag we honestly don't know so yeah more on that to come obviously and i think all of the loki scenes may have already been filmed now and yes. i think he plays yes. a part in that so yes. whatever yeah. happens jonathan majors is still gonna be around just remains to be seen whether anyone needs to be happy about that that and i this is something from the um the best pick podcast when they did american beauty and they talked about kevin spacey and all the accusations oh, yeah. And they did agree that, yeah, Kevin Spacey's a creep, and he's always chosen to play creeps, which is kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. But the idea about telling everybody that you should no longer watch anything he's been in basically means you are punishing every single other person who worked on those productions. Like, you are telling these people, you are bad and deserve to be punished because of this coworker of yours. So, and, and, you know, for people who have actually been a victim of that sort of thing, obviously they're not going to want to be exposed to all of this stuff and hear the accolades about how great this is when this problematic person is involved. So again, we have no idea. We don't know. We have no idea. We have no idea. I mean, we can make parallels between this and the whole J.K. Rowling thing where it's like, I think you should be free to like Harry Potter if that was something that you liked and still think that J.K. Rowling is behaving quite reprehensible at the moment. And um, what was the other thing? Oh, yeah, Weinstein. I mean, I still feel like Wind River didn't get any Oscar noms just because it was a Weinstein production, but that's a solid movie, you know, and it's a shame because it's like he tainted everything he had anything to do with. Well, it, that, that and the fact that, I mean, that another thing that the Best Pick podcast talked about, his company was basically an Oscar movie creating factory. They put, mm-hmm. everything was fine-tuned to make sure these were award-winning movies that came out. So a lot of the stuff that's in the public consciousness is going to be tainted by Weinstein now, simply because he had his fingers and everything, literally. Yeah. 
Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> that was, was kind of tasteless. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, appropriate. I think it's totally fine. So. Anyway, that's it. It was just like, I don't know. We've been meaning to watch this for a while. It's coming in at a 6.5. And um, I think that's like, I forget what I was looking at the other day. Shit, I'm going to remember it later and be like, ah, oh, that's what I remembered. I think IMDb is not the end all be all when it comes to the rating system, no. but I've noticed. If it's under six points, it's probably not great. Mm-hmm. But over six points, it's probably okay. But the closer you get to 6.0, the more it's just a disappointment. Ah. And that's, you know, coming in at like a 6.5, I'm like, yeah, I can see it. It's not embarrassing. But it's nothing that you're going to write home about, which is a shame because I like everybody involved with it. It's it's the writing. It's literally the writing that failed on this movie. Everything else was really good. Yeah, a shame. So the only other thing I had to talk about was I watched another two episodes of the Umbrella Academy. Ooh. And I guess we've gone on for a little while about Quantumania now, so I'll just try to keep this short. Um, Allison is getting freaking toxic in these states. I mean, she literally sexually assaulted Luther by trying to mm. rumor him into having sex with her. And fortunately, she stopped at the last second, but still doesn't change the fact that she did that. That, and I think the second episode ended with her taking Harlan to the sparrows in the trunk of her car, and it looks like he's dead. But or I'm hoping, uh, uh, yeah. So you're not saying anything, so yeah. I'm not saying anything. <laughs> but um, oh god, and Pogo showed up in the end of the, yes. the first episode I watched. I've been waiting for that because I even have a note somewhere. This is where's Pogo? And God bless the the CGI people, everybody involved with doing Pogo, because it's like fantastic. He's he's Simeon enough that you know he's you know a chimp. But he's also very believably a world-weary tattooist at a biker bar, and he's living yes. in a trailer having whiskey in the middle of the day while his uh, old lady sits outside and tries to shoo away invaders. So, and just, I mean, every one of his scenes is great. His voice is yes. great. His animation is great. His character is great. I mean, we find out in this version that Pogo found out that uh, the Sparrow's father was going to be sending them off to a battle that he didn't think they were ready for. And I think it has to do with that weird room that Lila and Diego found, like behind the hallway, behind the other room, which that was kind of scary because they go into that, you know, weird space and it's a version of the hotel, only it's got a sushi bar and it's all deserted and they ring a bell and something comes out and attacks them and cuts off some of Diego's fingers. So, yeah, <laughs> that was kind of horrifying. So I'm sure that has something to do with all of that. But, but yeah, so Pogo said that he wouldn't let Father hurt them and father tells him to get out and that's I, that was very sad the whole leave taking that he did so yeah 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 um we find out that klaus has died multiple times actually when when yes. uh, stan shot him he did die and he ends up in this between place where he actually gets to talk to his mother and she mentions that he's died 56 times so he's mm-hmm. done he's done stupid stuff but he actually goes to talk with the sparrow's father his father and he's trained um, his father to palm the uh, the pills that the sparrows have been giving him, so he's got his faculties back, which is a bad thing because now father is experimenting on Klaus. And yes, you, you end the episode 
not knowing what happened to Klaus because father shocked him and I think killed him. So I think he's experimenting on what exactly happens when Klaus dies. So yeah, I'm sure more on that in the next few episodes. Oh yeah. I love that whole storyline. It's just very, it's, it's fascinating to me. So the next episode begins with finding out that Victor isn't telling Allison what Harlan confessed, which is that Harlan accidentally killed all of their mothers. Right. And this whole season has been about one part of the group knowing something really important that the rest of the group doesn't know and they won't tell them for whatever reason. It's just, I mean, it's, it's happening again and again. You know, Harlan killing their parents. Something's in the basement. Lila and Five taking the suitcases without telling anybody. Father being under the control of the sparrows. I mean, people are finding things out and then not disseminating that information and it's always causing problems. Yeah, but again, if they told everybody everything, we probably wouldn't have an episode. Same thing with Ant-Man. Yeah, that's very true. That And then yeah, we yeah. also find out that um, Pogo was the one that gave the Sparrows the pills to get Father under control because he mm-hmm. knows what he's going to be trying to do. And he's telling Five all of this. And Five brought the uh, the tattoo from his other self who yes. died in the future and now Pogo is giving him the tattoo and I'm like oh my god this is so convoluted it's so <laughs> it's like grandfather paradox and nothing man it's just like where did the original idea of the tattoo come from at this point yeah you know? yeah oh god so yeah so everything's kind of a clusterfuck right now um the latest wave of destructive power from that thing in the basement took out Stan right in front of Lila and Diego um, and Lila had just told Diego that Stan wasn't actually his kid, that she had, quote, borrowed him from a friend of hers. I was waiting for you to find that ah! out the whole time. It's like Diego being a bad dad. I'm like, well, you know. <sighs> Diego shouts at her at one point, are you insane? And my note, yes, Diego, Lila is a complete psychopath. Keep up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. And yet... They're so well matched. They are. They're perfectly matched. I mean, she's completely crazy, and he's got a monomania about proving himself to his dad for some reason. So Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know. But yeah, so that's that's basically everything that's happening up to the point where I stopped. I think I have four more episodes left to go. So yeah, really convoluted. I can understand why you said that, you know, all three seasons are good, but you think that season three is better than season two. I think yeah, yeah, part yeah. Of, part of it is the setting. I like the fact that they're back in the present time. I do, I do. But it's also just I mean, you just never know where they're going with this story. Don't. It's always surprising. I mean, at at this point, it looks like Luther's gone over to the Sparrows. Mm, Yeah, more about that later. (laughs) (laughs) Not saying anything. But I guess that's going to wrap us up for the week. So make sure to check out PixelatedGeek.com for all the book reviews, the movie reviews, the comic book reviews, the photo galleries, um, San Diego Comic-Con coming up pretty soon. Um... Shit, what else has been going on on the site? It's really just been the podcast lately. It has. At time of this recording, I finally have another book review coming out, but it's for a 30-year-old trilogy that no one else cares about. But I (laughs) I needed needed some comfort reading, I think. Yeah, no, that's fine. Usually I'll have a review for Saga and Magic Order coming up, but I mean... They're not really even monthly titles. I really feel they're more like every five weeks, every six weeks. So, yeah, for like the past three weeks, it's just been the podcast. You're welcome. (laughs) We'll have more on that later. But, you know, all that and more at PixLadyGeek.com. Okay, so the plan is we didn't do Night Vale this week, but we have Laura Olympus scheduled for next week. We could skip Laura Olympus, but we're not going to. Nope, we're not going (laughs) to. 
<laughs> it's, it's not on be... the table. No. So it's going to be Laurel Olympus next week. And then the week after that will be Night Vale, which will be a little late, but I'm sure it'll be fine. But time is weird. But anyway, <laughs> one way or the other, we will talk to everybody in one week. Talk to y'all later. Um, what is his wife's character's name? Claire? Janet. Janet, okay. Yeah. J- Janet or Janice? Hang on. Hang on. <laughs> I don't remember. Janet. Okay, thank you. You're right. Is it? Yeah, it is. It's Janet. Okay, okay, good. All right, you'll have to tell me. I'll look up IMDb if I need to. All right, okay, go. okay. Michael Douglas's character? Oh, Dr. Yeah. Hank Pym. Both Scott and his daughter. Cassie. Cassie.